time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Well, it's been almost a year now. About a year ago in January, I walked into my first jujitsu class. Several months after that, I did a podcast about the lessons that I had learned during those first few months of jujitsu. It was kind of going back to zero, so it was a great learning experience. And so today I wanted to talk about a few more lessons I've learned. I had somebody who said, and this was at my jujitsu class, he said, hey, I listened to your podcast about the lessons you learned. Now it's been a few more months. What else have you learned? And I started thinking about that. And So I thought I would share that with you about some lessons that I think apply uh, to life in general. Now, here's the thing. Jiu-Jitsu right now, it's kind of that new experience for me. And so anytime we try something new, it awakens some new lessons for us. And I think if we reflect on that, we realize that those experiences often extend into all of our life. So first, a little background about how I got into jiu-jitsu. If you didn't hear my first story, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, So uh, back when I was a teenager, I did taekwondo. If you're familiar with taekwondo, you know that it's about striking, kicking, and hitting. And it's a Korean martial art that's based on the circular motion of a kick. Karate is a much more straightforward strike. And so in karate, you would do a kick, but it would be a very straight kick uh, in, in much more of the majority of the cases than in Taekwondo, which was a more arcing kind of approach. And so if somebody's coming at you in a straight direction, you're kind of circularly going after them in a kick. One of the things that I realized when I was doing Taekwondo is that there was always going to be somebody who could hit faster and harder and more accurately than me. So just uh, to kind of let you in on a little secret that is probably pretty obvious, I was not a natural athlete when I was a kid. In fact, I still struggle with even thinking of myself as being athletic. And and that's interesting because I do uh, something active every day. And so even though I, I have a hard time imagining that, that's exactly where my life is. I didn't grow up feeling very confident about my physical capacities. In fact, one of the reasons I took Taekwondo was because I wanted to feel more confident. And so I would go to class and, you know, we would uh, be taught how to strike harder, faster, and then practice it. And I remember how many times I would take a a hit, take a kick or a punch and and realize that at some point, if I really had to fight, I was really going after who could hit stronger, faster, faster more accurately. And that always concerned me. So I went off to college and I left Taekwondo behind. I'd spent several years doing that and I knew that that wasn't going to be my lifelong thing. I wasn't going to teach Taekwondo and I probably would never make it to black belt. I was a little short of that at that point. And so I left it behind, but I didn't leave my interest in the martial arts behind. I had been interested in the martial arts for some time. And so that interest carried through into my adulthood and not so much like MMA or uh, some, you know, UFC or any of those things. I, I didn't mind watching them, but that's not what held my attention. My attention around martial arts was more the internal piece, what it does for our thinking process. 
what it does for uh, how we understand ourselves in the world. And, and so a lot of the pieces of the puzzle, so I would look at different systems and how the psychology, and so it's always my default, is that psychology would be behind it. So at one point, I took Tai Chi, which is a, a very slow-moving uh, kind of uh, uh, movement-oriented martial art around exercise, and it was about bringing in your internal energy. I took Tai Chi and met some people who also believed in Tai Chi as a self-defense, but it never quite clicked for me. So last year, the weather was getting cold, and I was determined to stay active through the winter, even though I didn't have a chance to go paddling on uh, my local river because it's just too cold. And trail running got to be difficult when the trails were that sloppy. And so I said, you know what, I think I'm going to finally start taking martial arts. My wife was in support of that. So my choices were between a couple uh, of them, and uh, they centered around either Aikido or Jiu-Jitsu. Aikido is uh, much more of an internal martial art, and Jiu-Jitsu is a grappling martial art. So as I began to make my choice, I chose Jiu-Jitsu because I really wanted to do some sparring. I wanted to get a physical workout of it, and so... Last year, January 7th, my son went back to college and I went to the Jiu-Jitsu Academy nearby. And that's where the saga begins. So Jiu-Jitsu is a little slower progressing than I was used to in Taekwondo. The first belt you officially get is blue, but I was taking the Gracie family philosophy and they have a combatives belt, which basically makes me an advanced white belt. Now, getting to that point took me really all of nine months to learn the basic techniques. And and this is where we get the transition that I'm in now because I did that. I mastered that. When I first did a podcast about what I was learning, I was still a white belt, just a stripe or so. And uh, so uh, when I was able to move to the next level, I'm now at an advanced learning level of jujitsu. That doesn't make me an advanced student. I'm very much a beginner student. In fact, all I am is an advanced white belt. And I'll be that for some time. But it got me beyond the basic learning. So in the the Gracie philosophy, there are 36 core techniques that are important for self-defense, which is the primary orientation of that academy. And and the the sport of jiu-jitsu is very much secondary. So primarily, people originally learn the basic 36 techniques that are set up to help you defend against somebody who does not know jujitsu, has no training. And it basically covers the events that might happen in a fight. Now, the interesting thing is when I went into this, I wasn't really there for the self-defense part. I mean, that was kind of a background interest, but it wasn't the primary driving force. I was really there to get some exercise, learn something new, try something out, and get back to this martial art thing that I've always been attracted to. That was basically the impetus for that. So I had to work my way through these self-defense techniques, not so much concerned for my own safety and well-being. I don't tend to be in very dangerous situations, but you know, there's always a chance. And so I took to learning them. And the way this program lays them out is a great way for me to learn because there are uh, clear connections through the techniques and I could follow along and uh, watch supplemental information. And then along the way, I get to take a test. So I took that test in October. 
and in October, um, I took the basic level of, of testing that would take me to that advanced level and had to wait basically a month to get the results. During that month, I probably learned more jujitsu than I had the rest of the time because suddenly it didn't matter for me to learn. I wasn't getting ready for the test. Not only was I not getting ready for the test, but I was actually helping other people who were at a lower level than me. And you probably have already determined in your life that when you're teaching something, you learn it better than if you're just uh, trying to learn it on your own. And so during that month, I really learned a lot. And it made me start reflecting again on where I am at that place versus where I was when I first walked into that gym and had no idea even how a class would go, even how the process went. At that point, I was at, I knew nothing. I didn't know what I didn't know to talk about the mastery process I I worked through in my first podcast. And now I'm somewhere in the, um, I uh, now know what I don't know. And in part, I know what I know. I know what I know about this basic level, and I know what I don't know about all of these other pieces of the process. So now I move to the advanced level, where I am in classes with advanced students who are all beyond me at this point. I'm basically at the lower level of that class. And so I've talked about that experience, and you know, people say, what's that like to, you know, for you to go back to that? And I said, well, you know, it's really like... You know, remember when you were in, in middle school, you know, you were the top person in your middle school, that top class and, and the top class, you thought you were top dog, you know, you thought you had it down and then you go to high school <laughs> and you're at the bottom of the pack again, right? And it's a humbling experience to re- recognize that you are once again at zero. You're once again at the bottom. Now, the nice thing about this class is everybody there is very helpful and willing to help me learn the process. So it's not like, you know, the seniors picking on the freshmen. At the same time, I'm constantly losing in the sparring that we do, the rolling that we do uh, through that process. Which brings me to lesson number one that I've now learned after almost a year, about a month shy of a year. So 11 months in jujitsu. And that lesson is this, that mastery is lots of beginnings. We have this idea sometimes that mastery is just this, you know, step by step straight up the ladder, you know, that you start at the bottom and you just go on this straight up climb that's even. But in reality, mastery of anything is mastery only to discover you're at the beginning and mastery only to discover you're at the beginning. We all know that somewhere in us, but we forget it. It's the same thing that happens. You go to middle school and you think you've got it all down. You go to high school and realize you're back to zero. You know, now you're having a master again. But you get to the end of high school and you feel like you're top dog again. You've got that down. And then you go to college and you're right down at the beginning. Now, in my case, I kept doing that. Right? I go on to grad school uh, three times. And each time I'm down at the beginning. I'm down at the beginning. Sometimes later in life, we kind of forget that process, though. We struggle when we have to kind of start over at zero, start over at the beginning. And yet all of us are doing that. I was talking a few weeks ago with a person who had gone from being a salesperson to management. And the management thing was a real challenge to him. And it was uh, a process that really had made him feel that he was incapable of, of doing his job. He wasn't incapable. He was back to zero where he was having to learn again. But because he had been a master of selling, 
That's why they promoted him. He'd been a master of selling that when he moved over to management, he was back to zero and wasn't prepared for that. He figured he'd step right back in and have mastered that too. The fact is that at every stage of life, there's some level of mastery that sends us back to zero. Think about that in terms of what happens, for instance, in a relationship. Marriage is like that. You kind of master getting to know each other when you're dating. And so you get married and you realize you're at zero or you start trying to do the same things you were doing all along and getting yourself into trouble. So when we can accept that we're at zero again, then all we have to do is say, okay, I'm learning. Then along comes kids and we've mastered that being a couple thing and along comes kids and we're back to zero, but we don't want to admit that. And then the kids leave and we're back to zero, but we don't want to admit that. And then we get to maybe retirement age and we're back to zero, but we don't want to admit that. And the problem is when we don't admit we're back to zero, we struggle. So there I was, a newly minted combatives belt in the advanced class, in the master cycle, as they call it. The first day in master cycle, we learned some techniques and then we sparred. And what I discovered in that sparring was everything that I had been learning up until then was useless against people who knew how to counter what I was doing. So I figured that I would at least be able to, you know, not win, but maybe hold my on for a little bit. And all I could do sometimes was hold on, not hold my on, but hold on, hoping that the bell would ring and I wouldn't lose too many times. So the first day was a nightmare for me. In fact, I took home a couple of injuries because I was trying so hard to not be submitted. I realized I couldn't keep doing that. In fact, it happened right before I went to a publisher's event uh, and um, I had a bruised larynx. And that bruised larynx made it tough for me to talk while I was at an event where I needed to be on, where I needed to be able to talk. And I had put myself at risk because I tried so hard in that first night's class uh, to hang in there. So I came back from that event realizing I had to recalculate to accept that I was at zero and not just accept that I was at zero, but to accept that I was going to be at zero for a while. And so part of that process was to come back in and start laughing at myself in class. So in the middle of sparring, when I realized I had just left myself open to something, I just would laugh. At one point, I remember I was, I was rolling with the instructor and suddenly I was in the air on top of his feet with him holding both of my sleeves, knowing that I was about to end up in a, an arm bar that was inescapable. I just started laughing. And he said, what are you laughing at? I said, I have nothing else to do at this point. I have no defense from this. All I can do is laugh. And down I went into an arm bar. So my process now is to recognize as I'm going in that I am once again at the beginning But the beginning is where you have to start if you want to get to mastery. We can't skip the beginning and jump to the end. We have to go through the beginning parts to get to mastery. It can be humbling, but it can also be freeing. Because one of the things that I realized is when I stepped to the next belt, I suddenly had expectations upon me of what I should know and be able to help other people with at a lower level. At a white belt level, at just plain white belt, I didn't have to know anything. Now I'm expected to know something. And while I'm at zero in one place, I'm not at zero at another place. And so the the process for me is realizing that mastery is lots of beginnings, lots of being at zero. 
Second lesson was that sometimes just holding on is what we can do. It was a lesson during a seminar when the instructor said, you know what, sometimes not losing is winning. Not losing is winning. This is so true in life that, you know, sometimes all we can do is hang in there, hold on and keep ourselves from, from losing. So if there's a fight, if somebody were to actually attack me and I had to use that, as long as I'm not losing, I'm winning. I'm still in it. I'm still moving. I'm still going forward. And so part of my process while I was rolling and getting beat was to, at times, just make sure I wasn't losing. I wasn't going to win. There's no way I was going to submit them very often. So what's happened since then? Well, last night, I submitted a higher belt three times without being submitted. (laughs) But part of it was because I refused to lose in a moment. I, I refused to allow myself to be open to be submitted. And so when I was holding on, that was enough. And in another match, neither one of us submitted. And so in the process, sometimes there are days when all you can do is hang on. When I'm working with married couples, this is so true that, you know, if they haven't moved to divorce, they're still married. If they haven't lost at that moment, they're winning. And this is a crucial thing that we have to take in our lives because daily life doesn't mean every day we're winning. But the process of showing up and continuing to do that keeps us from losing. And when we're not, when we're not losing, we are winning. So part of my lesson, my second lesson was that a lot of times not losing in life equals winning. If you're able to hang in there, if you're able to show up again, if you're at a difficult situation and the next day you face it again and you're still at a difficult situation and you face it again, you win. When I was a chaplain, I used to watch that same process with people who were going through illnesses that were long-term treatments. And many of them realized that they weren't going to beat whatever it was that day, not that week, not that month, maybe even not that year, but they weren't losing. They were still moving ahead. They were still living their lives. They were still coming in for treatment. They were still doing what they needed to do to continue their life. And so as long as they were not losing, they were winning at that moment, which led me to lesson number three of this process. Lesson number three is that, and this has been said to me so many times in class, you either learn, you either win or you learn. You either win or you learn. There's not a losing. So in the process, sometimes something will happen. Now I'll get pinned. And, and what I noticed is that at those moments, I needed to ask a question. So in this advanced class, I found myself tied up the same way repeatedly. Now, I lost in terms of the submission, but it was a chance for me to learn. So I had to switch from the losing mentality of, daggone it, I lost again, to, hey, what do I need to learn here? So every now and then, somebody would catch me the exact same way I'd been caught three or four different times, and I would say, hey, I keep getting caught that way. What am I doing wrong? How am I losing this? How can I turn that around? So let me notice, let me just kind of restate this one more time. You, you win or you learn. There's no lose. But I want to rephrase that a little bit is you only learn. You only learn when you're open to that. 
One of the things I've seen with people who win is they don't ask the question, how did I win? They just say, hey, I won. I must be better. People who lose, instead of asking the question, how can I change how that happens next? Just say, I lost. I'm no good. I lost. Either one is a mistake. Each one gives us an opportunity to ask the question, what do I learn from this? If I win, why did I learn and how can I replicate that? How can I make sure that that happens again? If I lose, why did I get in that position and how can I make sure that doesn't happen again? So you win or you learn really translates to you only learn. The winning is pretty short term. I'm pretty sure that whoever has uh, submitted me in that class, whoever has tapped me out in that class, probably doesn't think about the fact that they've tapped me out. They actually think next match. And that's the process. We're all looking at next match. There are some people who get fixated on the fact that they won, not seeing that the next challenge is right around the corner. The next possibility of not winning is right around the corner. So the process of life, as far as I can tell, is about learning. It's about living out your purpose. And part of the way we live out a purpose is learning. Years ago, I was talking with a, in a class, a graduate level class that I was teaching uh, for wannabe therapists, for people who are learning to be therapists. And one person said, what do you think is the greatest attribute of a therapist, of a great therapist? And I immediately said, curiosity, willingness to learn. Because that will guide you through finding out what's going on with that person. What makes them tick? What needs to change for them? How are they moving through this? How are they understanding their world? That's curiosity. It's one of the things that I point as one of my gifts. I'm an incredibly curious person who is constantly in a learning process. So for me, lesson number three is a reminder that life is like that. You win or you learn, but in reality, you only learn. That's what we're here to do, which brings me to number four. For any of this to happen, you've got to show up. When we stop showing up, we stop learning. There have been people who have come through the academy and really were doing good stuff, learning good techniques, really showed promise, who never came back. They stopped showing up. Now, they surely had some reasons for doing that, and I'm not criticizing them for not coming back. But if we want to make progress in anything in life, you've got to show up. In fact, it's one of those pieces that I hold on to dearly that you got to show up, that that's the starting point for anything. And when I say show up, I don't mean just be in class, but be present. One of the things that I've really treasured about my time in jiu-jitsu this year, one of the things of several things. One of the things that I've really treasured is the fact that when I'm in class, that's all I can do. If I'm in class, it takes over my thought process. It's the same thing that happened when I would do scuba diving. When you're diving, you've got to keep your mind on what you're doing. There's safety. There's also the experience of it. There are lots of things that make me have to focus only on that moment, that experience. So if I'm underwater, I wasn't able to think about an argument I'd had or a problem I was having or an issue that had come up or anything else. I had to be focused on that, on scuba diving. The same in jiu-jitsu class. I go into jiu-jitsu class. When it starts, I need to be focused on what I'm learning and what I'm doing. In the moments of sparring, 
I can't, my mind can't wander anywhere else. This person is trying to twist me into a pretzel shape and I've got to be present. So this isn't just about showing up like here I am, whatever happens, happens. Showing up for me is about being fully there, fully present. And so that takes you to first be there and secondly, to be present there. So the biggest thing I've learned about this progression is you got to show up. One of the sayings that floats around jujitsu, which is only partly true, is that black belts are white belts that just kept showing up. They kept coming to class, kept learning, kept progressing. And that's partly true. There are other pieces to it, but that's an important piece. If you don't do that, you can't get to the next level. The way I got to strike number one was to make it to 20 classes. The way I got to strike number two was another 20, and then strike number three, another 20. When I got to strike number four of another 20 classes on my belt, I'd been to 80 classes, put in lots of other time in practicing and getting ready. But then I took the test, which meant that I not only had to have shown up to class, but had worked to master or at least to show proficiency in those moves. Now, the interesting thing is every time I'm in class, one of those moves that I had learned into a level of mastery, to a level of proficiency, I learned something else about. I learned a better way, a little slight tweak to it that changes everything. And that's kind of true in life. You know, whenever we stop showing up and being present, we go on automatic. And we go on automatic life tends not to go as well. So my challenge for myself, and I hope a challenge for you, is that we take in these lessons and apply them to our lives. Mastery is a lot of beginnings. So when you hit another beginning, recognize that's just one more step on the way. Number two, when you're not losing, you're winning. When you keep on moving forward, you're winning. Number three, you win or you learn, but if you really want to break it down, You just learn. When you reflect on winning and losing, you learn. And the last thing is, and you've got to show up. Bring your full presence to the experience. If this has been helpful, I hope you'll share it with other people. Easy way to do that is by giving us a little Twitter love. You can go to uh, your browser and just type in uh, thrivology.com slash love. That's thrivology.com slash love. That'll give you a pre-populated tweet that'll let people find us here and and easily listen. And if you could, please leave a review wherever you get this. If it's on the Apple store, you can go back and leave a review there. If it's on another uh, podcast app, you can leave it there. But it is very helpful for people to have an idea of what this is about and why it could be important to them. And if this has been helpful and you would like some more information on how to thrive, go to my website, leebalkum.com. That's leebalkum, L-E-E-B-A-U-C-O-M.com. And you'll find links to all of my books and other resources. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.